Uh, this morning, we have the joy of welcoming one of our pastors, Matt Shonick, to the pulpit, who's going to preach to us. Matt, come on up. Matt's been a pastor here for about a year, and he's been a tremendous blessing to me and to this church. And I was just thinking of introducing him. He doesn't really need an introduction, but I thought, you know what I see in Matt is he loves God with all his heart, and he loves people. And those are two really good things about this man. I want to pray for him as he brings us the word of God. Father, I thank you for Matt Shonick. I thank you, Lord, for the call upon his life to be in pastoral ministry. And Father, I pray that you would flow through him today. That God, the word and the truths and the passion you put in his heart would flow through him to our hearts today. We open our hearts to receive your word through Matt, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Kent. I appreciate it. So as uh, Kent said, this is, yeah, about a year for me as a pastor here, and this is my second time preaching. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to break most of the rules of speaking. You're not supposed to downplay yourself and talk about your experience beforehand. I'm going to do that. I'll break a lot of other rules, too, so get excited for that. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. So after I preached uh, at the end of last year about Hezekiah, and afterward, a lot of people were telling me, you know, Matt, you should just really preach something that's your passion. Preach from your heart. And it wasn't just one person. It was like 10. And so I was like, oh, okay. I thought Hezekiah was a passion of mine, but maybe that was code for, like, it was a little boring, or I don't, I don't know. Um, so I was, I was thinking, and I was, I was praying, God, what is, what is my passion? Um, and the thing that kept coming back to me is Scripture. I have a passion for Scripture. And it's not just because I'm a pastor or something, or I'm an avid reader. Um, But because scripture has transformed my life. Uh, If you don't know me, I have a really wild imagination, a really active brain. I'm all over the place. Even like, as I was getting ready, I have such thoughts as like, what happens if I'm talking and like ninjas come down from the windows and invade and no one sees them but me? You know, what happens if all of you guys fall asleep? And like all these thoughts are running through my head constantly. It is a, you don't want to be in here. It's just, it's wild. But that's why I'm so passionate about scripture. Because when all these thoughts are flowing and I'm trying to hear from God and I'm, I'm trying to get a prophetic word, I have the true voice of my father that I know from scripture. And so as things are flying around, I can pick out what's from God because I know his voice because I sit in scripture. And we know Satan is a liar and he's a good liar. And if you're a good liar, any good liars out there? I'm I'm a good liar sometimes. A really good lie is one that's so close to the truth. It sounds really good but it's not quite. And if you're like me and you have thoughts and imagination and a crazy mind, you might hear things that sound pretty good, but they might not be of God. And so that's why scripture is such 
a passion for me. It is my filter. It's what I can go and test. Be like, God, is this you? And when it is, you just know it. And then you, then you feel it. And it sinks in. And it, it changes you. And it's amazing. Um, I've, had, I've been blessed with a couple of really amazing moments in my life where God has spoken just so clearly. And I break down weeping. And I know it's my Father's voice because of Scripture. And so I, something else about me, um, I struggle a lot with self-confidence, especially in the clarity of my speech. Because as all these things are flowing through my mind and I just see lots of pictures, I have trouble putting those into words so that other people can understand them. Um, so get, being up here, just me being honest, is, is hard. Um, I want to so desperately be up here and preaching the word, but it's also really scary because I don't know if anything that's in my mind is going to make any sense to you guys. <laughs> um, but something that God was really showing me as I was praying about, about what do I talk about? What's my passion in scripture? And um, he said, it's okay. All you have to do is preach my word. And this is some homework for you guys. Isaiah 55, uh, uh, verses 8 through 13. I'm not going to read them now. But it's where we are assured that God's word from his mouth does not return void. And you probably heard that in church. His word doesn't return void. But the picture in Isaiah 55 is that his word is up here. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we're way down here. And when God's word goes forth, it's like the rain coming down. And the rain just doesn't like bounce back and forth. It doesn't go down and come right back up again. It says it comes down and it doesn't return until it's watered the soil, until it's done what it was meant to do. So I, last night, I've, I went to the men's retreat. I helped plan it. I do not feel prepared this morning. <laughs> but I feel so much confidence because I'm just going to preach the word to you. And I know, because scripture says so, that even if you don't remember what I'm going to say, even if you don't remember my main points, even if you don't, like, I don't have awesome stories like Pastor Kent. He has like 30, you know, 30 years of missions and experience and all these great things. I don't have any of that. But I still have a lot of confidence about this morning because I'm just going to read through scripture to you. And I know that it's going to impact your hearts, even if I don't. So, Let's jump in. But first, we should pray. Um, if you could just open your hands. So I'm going to be, you know, God's word. It's going to be up here. It's higher than our thoughts. And it's going to be raining down onto us, the soil. And I'm just going to be the hot air in the middle. So, um, but let's pray. God, we are here. We're gathered here together to hear from you, to hear your word. God, as Pastor Kent had us lay our burdens down, God, we just ask Holy Spirit come and open our hearts to what you have to say to us. God, we know that your word will not return void before it transforms us. God, I just pray that hot air that I'm filling in between, that may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be a holy and acceptable sacrifice to you, my 
rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right. So I'm going to be preaching through Ephesians 4 today. And this scripture is particularly meaningful to me as I've become a pastor and thinking about what does that even mean? Pastor doesn't really show up in the Bible. Uh, We hear shepherd. And Ephesians 4 is a passage where that happens. So it's something that I've been meditating on to see what is my job? What do I do here? Um, And it especially fits because the theme of Ephesians as a whole, of the whole book, is unity. It's all about being together. Read through this homework. Read through Ephesians. And I'll, I'll detail some of it. It's all about unity and being together and being one body. That's, that's the whole point of the book. It says it. I will show you. You don't have to take my word for it. It's all about unity. And it really fits in with Pastor Kent just had, uh, is doing a series on community. And I'll, I'll recap that for you. So two weeks ago, he gave a vision for um, life groups and community at City Hill and laid out how with our vision, we want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, community that builds up disciples of God and overflows into outreach. That's our vision. Uh, and then last week, he talked about the priesthood of all believers. And he used Ephesians in this, how we were once far from God, but we're brought into this body. Um, and so today, we're going to be reading Ephesians 4. So I'm just going to read this. I'm going to read scripture And I think it'll be up there. But pull out your Bibles. Don't just take my word for it. Read it. Um, Because it will not return void. Like, let it sink in to your heart. Ask God, God, what do you want to say to me through your word? Um, Let's do this. So Ephesians 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Don't glaze over here. I'll get into this. This is maybe a little confusing. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the wave, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. 
They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he, so that he may have something to share with anyone who has need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's the word of God. That's what... God says that. So I want to go through this. Um, We probably won't have time to go through the whole thing. There's 32 verses, but we're going to go right down the line. One, two, three, four, five. Because, again, I have nothing to offer more, nothing better than the word of God. So uh, let's go. Verse one. I therefore... So this is Paul writing. Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. All right, we got to stop there already. Okay? First of all, a prisoner of the Lord. So that gives us our background, right? Paul is now in Rome. He's a prisoner. This is towards the end of his ministry uh, life. Uh, This is in Acts 19. You you might remember Paul when he goes to Ephesus for the first time. You can, again, this is homework. Just like Isaiah 55, remember, read that later. Read Acts 19 later. And you see the story is, you know, they're preaching the gospel in Ephesus. Paul is there and then he incites a riot. So everyone in town is just shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They shout that for like two hours straight. And Paul's like, let me at him. I'm in there. I'm going to preach the gospel. Let's go. And Paul's companions are like, uh, they're going to kill you. So, no. So, that, this is not that, but that's the town. Um, this is much, much later. He's writing um, many years later back to the church uh, to kind of remind them about, again, unity. Uh, the second piece we notice is it says, I therefore. And therefore is a joiner, right? Like, I think therefore I am. So, it also tells us that we can't just start in chapter 4. Chapter 4 is a therefore, chapter 4. So I'm not going to now also read <laughs> chapters 1 through 3, but I'm going to give you a summary. Um, Pastor Kent talked a, a little bit about this, that um, actually Ephesians 1, verse 10, says the whole point of the book. It says the purpose. This is, this is the reason for the whole book. Ephesians 1, 10, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. 
That's the, whole, that's the purpose of the book. It says, read, read the whole thing, read through it. It's all about unity. As, as Kent touched on last week, um, it's, he talks about this mystery that it was you know, just the Israelites who were the people of God, and now the Gentiles are in, and now this is one body, and it's amazing. We're all in this together. Unity. Everything's about unity, and it's a mystery. And in case you're concerned that um, unity is just a small theme in just Ephesians, read the New Testament. Unity is, it's in every book. And I have a couple of verses just here from the words of Jesus, okay? So John 13, 34, and 35. He, this is right after he washes the disciples' feet. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And you've probably heard that. Like, they'll know us by our love. And it's so easy to think, oh, I'm just such a loving person that they'll know I'm a Christian because I'm so loving. That's not what this says. <laughs> it doesn't say that. It says, if you have love for one another. That's our sign. That's how the world knows that we are following Jesus is that we love each other. Unity from the words of Jesus. Uh, moving down to John 17, uh, if you're in the weekly life groups and you did the discussion, there was a bonus to read John 17, which is known as the high priestly prayer, which fits into the priesthood from last week. But in the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays right before he goes to his death, um, uh, starting in verse 20, I do not ask, so he's praying for his disciples right before this, and then he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you. That's me. Did you know that Jesus was praying for you right before he went to the cross? He was praying for you, the son of the living God. He was praying for you, okay? And what did he pray? This is what Jesus was asking the Father for you and me. Verse 21 that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's the same as John 13. Jesus asked, make them one, make us, you and me, one in unity so that the world will know. That's our sign. That's how people know that we are one. And it's so powerful, he, he basically asks again. In verse 22, the glory that you have given me and I <clears throat> have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. He says it again. <laughs> Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these, that you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That's unity. That's togetherness, right? So it's not just Ephesians. It's not just like a little thing. 
This is what Jesus prayed for us, that we would be one. Um, okay, so, so also back, back to verse 1. So it says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthing, worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Okay, what is the calling to which we've been called? Uh, you can go, go back again. This is homework. Read Ephesians 2. And Ephesians 2 talks about Jesus conquering <laughs> through his death and resurrection. He's given the church as his body. And it says that's our calling. Our call is to be the body of Christ. Jesus is our head and we are the body. That is our call. Okay? So what does that mean? It says, so walk in a manner worthy of that call, of being his body. So for that, we have to keep going. So now let's go to verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How about that word eager? Do you feel eager to maintain unity in the spirit? When you're angry, when you're in an argument, when you're in a fight, are you eager to maintain unity? Is that your go-to? Is that your first reaction? Like, uh, we're in a fight. Give me one good reason why we should maintain unity. Because I, 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 don't, I barely even need one. I just really want unity. Is that how we, is that how we think? No, no, it's not. Especially, it's even worse in, in our culture in the Minnesota nice because we have this like front of niceness and so instead of, of resolving things, we just kind of disappear if we don't like someone and we fade away. That's also our church culture too, right? If we have uh, disagreements, we don't like things about a church, we, there's, there's so many churches around here, right? We have, there's... Within five minutes of here, there's a bunch of amazing churches that are part of our body. But are we eager to maintain unity? Are we eager to say, yeah, grace, grace. And, like, we're together. We're together. Are you eager when you're fighting? When, you, when someone rubs you the wrong way? Honestly, I'll, I'll be honest, there's some people in our body that kind of annoy me. I won't say who. <laughs> but, but am I eager to maintain unity? Am I eager to be one? Like, are, are you eager? The only, reason, the only reason that we need is that God told us. God has forgiven us all things. So why not be eager to be one? So also it talks about how, how we should behave, this manner. So humility, gentleness, patience. Does that remind you of something? Do those things sound familiar? What are those? Fruits of the Spirit, right. So more homework, more scripture to read. Read Galatians 5. These are fruits of the Spirit. That's what it means to have unity in the Spirit is that we're all so plugged into God that our roots are just planted so deep in Him that we're bearing the fruits of the Spirit and we're just sharing our fruit. We're sharing peace, humility with one another. And there's something special uh, about peace, right? It says in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's something about the fruit of peace that brings us together. So are, are, you, are you eager for that? Are you eager for those fruits? Are you sharing fruit with one another? I think Paul's really clear that that's an important part of unity. So let's keep going. Verse 4. 
There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So the first thing that jumps out in this passage to me is, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Okay, so we know from before, our call is to be the body, right? What is that one hope that we have for being the body? This is homework too. You gotta read Ephesians 1, starting in verse 18. I'm not gonna tell you what it is, you gotta look it up. It might be a discussion question for the life groups later. Ephesians 1, starting 18. But we also know, so I said Acts 19 gives a frame of reference for, uh, for Ephesus. That's where um, Paul is in, it's in Acts 19. Uh, and also Timothy, if you read the books of Timothy, Timothy is in Ephesus. So we know from those books um, that there was controversy about different baptisms. It was the baptism of John. Which, which baptism were you in? And we know from Timothy uh, that there was a lot of false teachings, that there were these teachers that were trying to say all these other things. And um, so he's speaking to that again. He's like, no, there's one body, one baptism, one spirit. That's unity. There's not just kind of whatever spirit you want or whatever body you want. We Lots of little bodies around. No, there's one. We are one body. Do you guys feel that in the, like, say the American church with Grace and Wooddale and Pax Christi and the Catholic church? Do we, do we feel that unity? Do we feel that unity in the body that we're many members of one? Do we feel that unity here? Do you feel united to each other? Do you feel joined by the one spirit, by one God, one unity? Let's go on to verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So these, this grace um, that was given to each one of us, he's talking about gifts of the Spirit. And lest you think that unity equals uniformity, those are very different. Don't be confused, right? Just because we have one God, one body, one faith does not mean we are all the same. It's really easy to love people just like you. It's really, it, it, it's easy. Like, oh, we like the same things. We have the same history. Oh, we're all the same. That's not unity. That's uniformity. But different gifts were given to each one, to each person. And so this, again, I have more homework. You should write down more homework. 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of reading. I'm, I'm a brutal teacher. First uh, Corinthians 12 really gets into the details of all the different gifts that were given to people and how there's such diversity in the body. And there needs to be such diversity in the body, right? Like, think of a body, right? Like, in Corinthians, it gets into that, but like, you know, is everybody an eyeball? Is everybody a, a hand? No, like, we need every part. We need every part, and they're all different. They're all very different. And now, imagine uniformity. If a bunch of eyeballs are sitting together, that's not a body. That's like a Halloween creepy mess of eyeballs. No, that's not a functional body. Okay? So grace was given to each one of us. Each one of us. Unity is not uniformity. Just because we have one God, one faith, we're not all the same. Um, and Jesus touches on that in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, 
It's easy to love your neighbors. We should love our enemies. Uh, and then the other piece here is, this kind of can be confusing, given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. It can be really easy to say, oh man, just look at that guy. They're just doing all these awesome things. They must be so pious. They must just like read their Bible all the time and that's so great. Or, oh, it's because they're really like good looking that they have this like following. And it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do according to the measure of Christ's gift. God, they're just gifts. God gives gifts. Different gifts, different purposes, different reasons, right? Has nothing to do with us, what we're deserving of at all. It's just, it's a gift. And we receive each of our gifts graciously, or we should. So, okay, this is where the, it gets a little, it gets a little hairy. It can, uh, your eyes can kind of glaze over during this part. Um, but I'm going to read it. So don't, don't give up because it's actually really powerful. So verse 8, starting in verse 8. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So Paul is quoting something here. Paul is quoting Psalm 68. You can know that if you have footnotes in your Bible or if you have Google, right? Don't be confused. Like, dig into this stuff. Like, this is the word of God. If you don't know what it means, ask. Figure it out, you know? Dig, dig in. Come, come talk to me. I love to wrestle with Scripture. So, so then you're like, okay, Paul's uh, quoting Psalm 68. Okay, I'm going to go to Psalm 68. And you read it, and Psalm 68's a little weird. <laughs> it's, it's a psalm of David, and it's this like supernatural battleground. It talks about this, the mount, the many-peaked mount of Bashan, which is like basically like the, um, the mountain of the evil supernatural forces. This is like this cosmic battle scene that's being described in Psalm 68. And uh, it talks about Yahweh, Yahweh God, um, in the Old Testament, ascending and taking that mountain because he wants that mountain for himself. It's a, it's a spiritual conquering, right? You know, we're in, we're in battle against principalities and powers. That's what Psalm 68 is doing. So Paul's doing two things here. The first is, He's drawing together the story of the Old and New Testament, right? He's saying that this is, this is the same God. We're ta- I'm talking about the Jewish faith and, and the faith now. It's a continuation. And especially, this is a beautiful picture of the Trinity. This is a Trinitarian passage. And that might not appear obvious to you, but... Psalm 68 is talking about Yahweh, God the Father, conquering the spiritual forces because he wants that mountain for himself, okay? And so we have Yahweh. And what Paul is saying is, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions? He's specifically saying the earth. What, who is that? Who descended into the earth? Jesus. Jesus. So he's saying... It was Jesus, not just Yahweh, who conquered the spiritual forces of darkness. And there's even one further interpretation, is when he ascended, this is Jesus, so this is Jesus ascending, right? He, he died, was buried, resurrected, and then ascended. 
And then what came afterwards? Jesus had to ascend so that the Holy Spirit come, right? And the Holy Spirit gives gifts, spiritual gifts. And so Paul is bringing all these things together. He said the Yahweh of the Old Testament is Jesus when he ascended and, he, and the Holy Spirit descends and they're all the same. They're all the same. So don't glaze over confusing passages because they can say something really beautiful. And it says, so, and when he ascended, he gave gifts to men. So what are these gifts? What are you giving us? <laughs> right, these are different than the grace gifts that we were told about earlier that were given different gifts to each person. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Kent, you're a gift to us. <laughs> Our apostolic oversight, you know, Rich, well, Rich is also in the office of prophet, so he's a gift. Mac and, and Mark, they're gifts. Um, it's this commonly known as the fivefold ministry. This is different from 1 Corinthians 12. I'm not going to get into all this, but um, so yeah, they're the gift. So I'm a gift. <laughs> right? I'm a gift. I'm going to leave my Bible over there. I'm a gift. So I think that you guys should all join together, because if I'm a gift, I think you guys should all join together. You should come and meet here, and you should equip me, right, to do my ministry well. You should gather all here together, gather your time and your physical effort, and you should gather all your money, and you should give it to me. You should equip me so I can get done what I want to get done. Right? Sounds great, huh? Is that what the scripture says? No. No, it's not. But that's what we think, right? That, that hits a little bit close to home, doesn't it? Gather as a church, pool our money, pool our efforts, so that a pastor can get done what they want to get done. Kind of hits a little bit close to home. But verse 12 says, why? Why did he give the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers? Why did he give the offices the fivefold ministry? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. I'm equipping you? That's lame. You guys are supposed to be equipping me. That's how it works, though. I'm the, I'm the Alfred to your Batman, right? I'm the Q to your Bond. I'm the, the sidekick giving you what you need to do the ministry that you were called to. That, that's, that's counterintuitive. That's not how we think of things, right? Like, the great, you know, development of the Industrial Revolution was the division of labor, specificity, Right? We don't have any, like the Leonardo da Vinci's, the Renaissance men who like did like everything, or like Benjamin Franklin even was a more contemporary, like, you know, he was like postmaster and he like discovered electricity, he did like everything. But as a society, we've advanced so far that the only way to make a really good contribution is to really specify, right? So we go to a highly, you know, a specialist, you know, like neurosurgeon for this kind of like brain thing, and we go to, you know, a plumber for this kind of, uh, you know, home thing. We, we're used to going to specialists. We go to the experts. 
And so it's, it's really easy for us to think, oh, well, I go to church. I go see a pastor because the pastor is like the expert specialist. And that's where this verse flips everything on its head. I'm not the specialist. I'm equipping. I'm called here to equip all of you because you're the specialists. You were put in a specific place, in a specific time, in a specific body, in a specific family, in a specific job, in a specific city, in a specific country. No one lives your life but you. No one talks to the same people. No one has been given the same knowledge. No one has the same perspective as you. No one. You're it. You are the specialist. You are surgically implanted by God to be his ambassador in every space that you touch. You are the specialist. I'm just here to like give you some, you know, give you some weapons, give you some tools. But it's not my ministry. It's yours. Each of you. And I think some of you might feel like sleeper agents a little bit. I don't know if you guys remember, it was maybe like 10, 15 years ago, I think it was near Boston suburbs, that they found some Russian spies that were like left over from the Cold War. They'd just been like sitting in suburbia, just like chilling, living suburban lives. They made a TV show about it, actually. But if you guys feel like that, as I'm saying this, like you're in a specific place, if you feel like you're just a sleeper cell, just kind of waiting, living your life, I want to activate you now. I don't want to do it. I want the Holy Spirit to activate you now to see why he's called you to be in the body that you're called in, your phys- even your physical body, why he gave you this body, why he put you in the family that he put you in, why? Why you're in the job that you're in, why you have this life in this unique specialist perspective. So I want, let's just all close your eyes. Then I want to, I want to pray for you. I want to pray. Um, it's a prayer of activation. Holy Spirit, you are the seal and sign of us as a body. God, you are the power with which we work to be your hands and feet. And God, I just pray for each person in this congregation right now. I pray that you would give revelation right now. God, show each person, Holy Spirit, fall. Show each person why you've placed them, where you've placed them, why you've given them their body, their family, their work, their friends. God, reveal in a way only you can reveal. God, show us what you're doing. Show each person, show each surgical specialist agent of you how you're moving and what they're supposed to do in each of those spaces. Holy Spirit, fall. Reveal. Empower. Right now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, you guys are each specialists, right? You're going out from this place equipped to do the work of ministry. But we can't forget, what is the purpose of this book again? 
Remember? What was it? What's the purpose of Ephesians? Unity, right? So like, okay, wait, but we're all specialists way out here doing our thing, but unity. How, how does this work together? How does this work together? Let's keep reading, okay? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So while you guys are seeing yourself as the specialists you are, you also need to see yourself as members of the body of Christ. So think about, think about our body. Think about anatomy, especially if you're, if you're you know, a doctor, if, you have any, if you've ever taken anatomy class or you just you know, look at your skin sometimes. Um, think about every cell, every organ has a very just specialized purpose, right? And the picture that we have from Ephesians is Jesus is our head. You know, Jesus, like mature head, he knows everything. He's got a plan. He's directing everything through the nervous system. And then, but actually what's happened is first we were dead, right? We were dead in our sin and transgressions. We were just a dead body lying here, okay? And then Jesus conquered. He ascended. And then we're alive again. And now we're this like kind of weak little, like feebly, we're like, you know, like a little kid just like toddling around, but we still have Jesus as our head. He's trying to tell us what to do. And as we do this, as we go out, as we listen to what our head is telling us, not our head, but head, Jesus, as we listen to those things, our body, and we act as the hands and feet, and we wobble around, and we toddle, (laughs) we start to mature, and we start to grow, and together, and we figure out how to work together. Like, oh, God called me here, and, and God called me here. We should get together. We should be connected. Right? That's the amazing thing, is that God doesn't, there's no like lone ranger Christians just going around here, right? Because then, then you get another image, right? Like you could be an awesome hand, but if you're over there by yourself, you're just a severed hand. And it's kind of gross, right? We're all specialists as part of a body. And as we walk out doing our function, we, we, collect other, we collect other people and we grow together in love. So I would love to go through the rest of the book. There's so much in here. It's amazing. Um, but there's no time. So I want to go back and I want to just reiterate um, the prayer of Jesus for you. It's not my words. This is Jesus praying for you. John 17, 20 through 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may be all, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me. I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. 
I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, that you have sent me. I may be known to them, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen.